You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. And we begin with new details in a hit and run in Burnaby that injured two police officers. One of those officers is now back at home recovering with family and friends. Grace Key is live with more on the investigation. And Grace, we understand police have collected some video surveillance. Yeah, we have learned that they've gotten some surveillance video from the industrial area where that vehicle was abandoned. And according to one of the building managers there, he says that video does point directly at the car. Meanwhile, as you mentioned, one of the officers released from hospital today. Corporal Aaron Courtney is back home with his family recovering after he and another officer were hurt in a hit-and-run collision. Don't worry, buddy. We're just helping you Both are with the Lower Mainland District Integrated Police Dog Services Unit. Corporal Courtney, a 15-year veteran, received a bravery award in Ottawa for helping rescue a man and his daughter out of their burning car in Abbotsford in 2007. He also received a meritorious service award for negotiating the successful surrender of a suspect driving a stolen vehicle dangerously through the city. Corporal Courtney is a well-loved officer with the Abbotsford Police Department. He comes from a policing family. Uh, they are well known within the Fraser Valley. The unidentified RCMP officer is still in hospital. He suffered serious injuries and police say has a long road to recovery. The two were just standing next to their police vehicle in the 5,000 block of North Fraser Way in Burnaby when a driver struck them and then sped away. And the car just hit them full speed and they went, whoa, right up in the air. The one guy, he was midway through that. Uh, that pole in height. The white Toyota Camry was found nearby abandoned. Police were back at the scene looking for clues. A building manager says police seized their security footage and it appears to show a person wearing a baseball cap fleeing the scene. The stolen Toyota was originally reported as an impaired driving call. An officer spotted it along Marine Way and Burn Road. The driver sped off into oncoming traffic and soon after struck the officers. The side and back windows are so tinted that at quick glance, you can't even see if there's uh, one or two or three people in there, man, woman, you can't tell. So we're looking for footage that'll give us a, a distinct look in the, the windshield so we can at least get a photo. So again, if you were in that North Burnaby area yesterday between 11.30 a.m. and 1 p.m., if you think you spotted that white Toyota Camry newer, bo- uh, newer model, uh, please are asking to take a look at your dash cam video. Jay? All right. Thank you, Grace. Grace Key reporting for us tonight. There are calls tonight for a review of a decision to move a B.C. serial killer from a maximum security prison to a medium security facility. In 2014, Cody Lejabakov was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. He was found guilty of the first-degree murders of Lauren Leslie, Jill Sachenko, Cynthia Mays, and Natasha Montgomery in 2009 and 2010 in the Prince George area. Lejabakov had been in a maximum security prison here in B.C., but has now been moved to a medium security facility in Ontario. I think a mistake was made. I think uh, Cody is uh, literally just starting the the beginning of a, you know, serving four life sentences. Um, And uh, to be rewarded uh, moving from maximum to medium security uh, in such a short period of time, it sends the wrong message. 
Corrections Canada says the transfer of a prisoner to a lower security facility is evaluated with public safety in mind. Rumblings tonight of serious problems between provincial health services and the doctors at the BC Cancer Agency. Today, the president of the Cancer Agency announced he is resigning the third in six years. And as Tanya Beja reports, reasons as to why may be found in an independent report obtained by Global News. And I'm actively involved in our fight to conquer cancer. Colleagues describe Dr. Malcolm Moore as a brilliant leader with a legacy of achievement. But the president of BC Cancer announcing he is stepping down. Well, any time we, uh, we have a leader resign, it's, uh, it's a difficult moment. And uh, especially with Malcolm, who's accomplished so much. Moore is leaving after three and a half years on the job in what he calls a personal decision. He's the third president to quit the agency in less than a decade. I think he's really stabilized things there. The uh, BC Cancer has, a, has had outstanding outcomes, especially in the past year. Sources tell Global News Moore had become increasingly frustrated with both the Provincial Health Services Authority and the Health Ministry. But the PHSA says it received no complaints of dissatisfaction from BC Cancer leadership. And I- I interact a lot with the scientific community and the clinical community. Uh, I have not heard any of that. Moore and other physicians were interviewed as part of a PHSA organizational review. The report, released last year, identified several concerns. An insufficient opportunity for medical staff input as part of PHSA's strategic planning, perception of a top-down approach by PHSA leadership and limited consultation on key decisions that impact staff, and perception by medical leaders that the board is too far removed from medical staff to make informed decisions about patient care. My concern is, is this something that uh, PHSA has a difficult problem with coordinating their new mandate given to them by this government? with the aspirations of the different organizations in this province. The people making decisions about cancer are BC Cancer, and that that is the case, uh, and that'll be continuing as the case. The health authority says Moore is stepping down at the end of April to move to Ontario. An internal search for his replacement has already begun. Tanya Beja, Global News. After a month-long closure, Highway 97, your summer, Summerland rather, is open again. Traffic was rerouted at the end of January after a series of rock slides closed the highway north of Summerland today. Traffic is once again moving along the stretch. One southbound lane, however, will remain closed for the time being, allowing ministry staff to monitor the slope for any additional movement. The village of Belcara is asking the government to be exempt from the speculation tax. Many of the homes are accessible only by water, aren't livable year-round, and have been handed down through generations. But that doesn't appear to be swaying the NDP. As Richard Zussman tells us, instead the province is digging in its heels. When you think of real estate speculators, these aren't the people you think of. I really think it's just a wealth tax. I really don't think it's a speculation tax. Clearly I'm not speculating on it. A handful of Metro Vancouver residents who own second homes in Belcara visiting the B.C. legislature on Tuesday to fight their pending speculation tax bills. This is what some of the properties now taxable look like. Water-only access, but worth more than a million dollars because of the location in Metro Vancouver. Nancy Strain must now decide between paying the tax and selling a home her father built with his two hands. We go there as a secondary home. It's not empty. It's where you We go there weekends and summers. Inside, the issue got the attention of Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson. 
Charlene Robson okay. standing beside him, showing off a picture of her property, which comes with an around $6,000 speculation tax bill, a heavy price for the only summer vacation spot they can afford as a family. I was frightened to death. I still am. I'm, I was almost in tears up in the, the gallery. It's, uh, it's awful. Belcara's mayor says he met last week with Finance Minister Carol James and tried to express to her these homes on the rental market are not realistic. These are not the target of the speculation tax. These cottages, none of them are. In fact, they've been referred to me by the NDP team as collateral damage. NDP MLA Rick Glumack represents the area. He says he hears the concerns from his constituents, but the government is sticking by its tax. Affordability is a major issue in this province, and we've got a 30-point plan to deal with it, and this is one of the aspects of that. But these residents still can't understand how these cabins fix that problem. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A rally this afternoon at a controversial homeless camp in Maple Ridge. Former residents of Anita Place and their supporters drawing attention to the dire housing situation. Catherine Urquhart is live across the street from the site tonight. And Catherine, I understand tensions were high earlier. Yes, and some very tense moments here in Maple Ridge. Homeless advocates were rallying here across the street from the former Anita Place homeless encampment when they were confronted by some frustrated area residents. Here's a look. You don't think we are close to me where they are? Well, then shut up and quit putting them down. The encampment was shut down Saturday after an evacuation order was issued by the provincial fire commissioner. There had been three recent fires at the tent city. Campers were moved to a temporary shelter and last fall some of the campers were placed in modular housing. Homeless advocates say still more needs to be done. If there was a little bit of order, and a little bit of neatness, people wouldn't care as much. But it's just all over the place, and every night people are getting tired of getting ripped off. We see it in our neighborhood in the downtown east side that people are just getting churned through the system and they're hopeless about ever getting out of it, and we need to turn things around. I know people in the camp personally that couldn't get into treatment because they didn't have an address to come home to. Now, police tell us that since the camp was set up back in May of 2017, they responded to 669 calls connected to the site. And tonight we can tell you that dozens of police officers and security guards remain in the neighborhood guarding the site. Back to you. Okay, and we'll be monitoring the situation closely, of course. Thank you, Catherine. Catherine Urquhart in Maple Ridge for us tonight. Calls for year-round shelters in Vancouver have been met by a promise from the province to fund eight shelters in the city through March 2020. Well, that's good news for many. Nadia Stewart explains why those who work with the vulnerable on a daily basis say a more long-term solution is needed. Even before Cope City Councillor Jean Swanson's motion was debated in council chambers, the province responded, pledging to keep temporary shelters like this one open through to March 2020. We still have to go to keep them open for 24-7 because they're only going to be open for a few hours every night and people do need a place to be. In total, the Ministry of Housing is committing more than $3 million to keep 238 beds operational at eight temporary shelters. Only three will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We could definitely stand in the city of Vancouver to have more of these 
spaces available through the year as it's needed. Union Gospel Mission spokesperson Jeremy Hunka says what's really needed is a shelter program with more built-in flexibility. Focus on the need, focus on the demand, and if that warrants, build that flexibility and keep at least some of those spaces open. We would say focus on the need rather than the calendar. We've seen a bit of an uptick in the number of people sleeping rough, especially uh, during the last few months within our 90 block area. It's also welcome news for downtown businesses who say the shelters do make a difference. But like UGM, they say the long-term solution goes beyond just shelters. I think we need to find a way to be innovative. I know that they open up, for example, the library and community centers as warming locations. And I think that uh, we need to find a way to increase the number of temporary modular housing units. Uh, we've built 600 in the course of one year. I think that shows that it's doable. And I think we need to find a way to expand the number of those units within the city. Nadia Stork, Global News. A new poll indicates most Canadians believe Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has lost the moral authority to govern and that he should resign. Our Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the poll. And Keith Trudeau taking a big hit over the SNC-Lavalin affair. And this poll was even before Liberal MP Jane Philpott quit. Yeah, it's bad news all around for uh, Mr. Trudeau, no matter how you cut it here. Uh, this was taken after Jody Wilson-Raybaud's testimony, her bombshell testimony, alleging inter political interference from Trudeau's office uh, on her, uh, but before Phil Watt resigned. So uh, an interesting snapshot of public opinion. Polls are polls. You, you know, always totally reliable. Nevertheless, interesting. The Conservatives now at 40% of decided leading voters. That's up four points from a poll two weeks ago. Uh, the Liberals have slid now three points, down to 31 percent. Uh, that's, again, a, a drop from uh, two weeks. Public opinion sliding against them. The NDP, well back in third place, even though that party is up a modest three points. And the bloc in the Greens, really immaterial here. They're down less than five percent and four percent, respectively, for those two sort of minor parties. But nevertheless, very bad news here for the Liberals and uh, Justin Trudeau taking a beating in public opinion. Not surprisingly, given the intensely negative and saturated media coverage, this whole scandal has wrought for the the past couple of weeks. Yeah, trembling numbers for sure for the Liberals. And tomorrow, Justin Trudeau's former top advisor, Gerald Butts, is scheduled mm -hmm. to testify before a justice committee. What should we expect? Well, I think he's going to back up Trudeau's characterization of the events involving uh, his office and Wilson Rabo. I don't think that so far there's no indication he's going to dispute the times and the, and the number of meetings that were held. But I think Butts also is probably going to have some documentation of what he wants to say. His version of events probably markedly different than Wilson Rabo's. The twists and turns continue. Thanks so much, Keith. Yes. And East Vancouver Brewery is the latest business to feel the crunch from rising real estate values. The Storm Brewery is facing a huge rent increase and has to move. Aaron MacArthur tells us why the brewery is just another example of small businesses being forced out thanks to a scarcity of industrial land in the region. It's business as usual at Storm Brewing. For now. One of the pioneers of craft beer in Vancouver 25 years ago, the small operation is facing eviction. A new owner won't renew the lease. But there aren't a lot of places for a business this size to move to. This building got sold for six and a half million dollars, and I couldn't have bought it even if they did offer it to me. That's an insane amount of money. The situation at Storm, not unique. Other breweries in East Vancouver, even other sectors, are in similar circumstances. Land values are rising, rents and property taxes all going up too. 
Industrial land is in short supply in Vancouver. There are a few developments popping up, but with premium pricing, mom and pop operations being forced to flee the city. Vacancy rates for industrial land, just 1.4%. And they have no more land. Right? There isn't vacant industrial land where they can supply uh, industrial jobs or industrial buildings. So they're going to have to look at creative ways, and they are starting to do that. The region isn't faring much better. There are parts of the Fraser Valley where industrial vacancy rates are lower than the average. Areas of Burnaby are seeing whole industrial hubs turn to condos. For years, cities and even the regional government has all but ignored disappearing industrial land. We put industrial lands policy into our regional growth strategy for the first time in 2011. And so what we have are regional land use designations that effectively protect the industrial land base. Storm Brewing has two years to find a new home. The owner, happy to see them go sooner. They say, do what you love and the money will follow, but yeah, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> but the options are few and far between. Storm will continue, but in what capacity is anyone's guess? Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Business is moving at a very fast pace globally, and he's a global citizen now. And so his insights around what he's seeing in the world and the opportunity for Canada, I think, are really important. A huge lineup in downtown Vancouver this afternoon, as you can see, stretched several blocks as thousands of excited fans filed into the Vancouver Convention Centre to hear Barack Obama speak. The Greater Vancouver Board of Trade brought in the former U.S. president after his name repeatedly topped its member surveys as the person they wanted to hear from the most. No details on exactly what he said, but in Winnipeg last night, he told his audience there is danger in politics being driven by passion and not facts. A harrowing night for two Okanagan snowmobilers who spent a frigid night in the backcountry north of Kelowna. Global's Jules Knox reports on how the brothers got lost and how they found their way home. Sheldon and Dalton Goodwin went snowmobiling in the backcountry near their house in the Fintry area on Monday morning. But they got into trouble. They ran into dense forest, forced to maneuver around fallen trees and hidden stumps. When we were trying to break trail and stuff with the sleds, um, trying to hike back up through, you know, powder that's up to your belly button is not very fun. <laughs> so we were sweating a lot. I was soaked by the end of the day. Without cell service as darkness neared. Been out here since about noon, bushwhacking. The brothers stopping in an open area to light a fire. Yeah, it's pretty dark. I couldn't sleep because I knew that it was so cold and I was wet that if I did fall asleep, um, I might not wake up. Worried family members calling 911. It's just that feeling that you don't know what is going on with them. You don't know if they're in one piece. About a dozen search and rescue personnel helped in looking for the missing snowmobilers overnight and crews from Kelowna, Kamloops and Salmon Arm had been called to help in the search as well. One of the problems is that there's a huge maze of roads up there. Um, and it's just, it can be very confusing. When the sun rose, the brothers relieved they'd survived the night. They decided to keep going and finally found a forest service rope. I was really happy. <laughs> I knew that I was going to go home and get a meal and get a bath. And around 10 a.m., the men riding their snowmobiles back into the driveway to big hugs. I was just like, I didn't even put shoes on. I just ran right out here. The brothers now looking forward to a long nap and say they're very grateful to those who also spent the night in the cold looking for them. Jules Knox, Global News, near Fintry. 
a retirement party today at the University of the Fraser Valley for a pioneer in education. Yes, a dedicated professional that spent 13 years helping students cope with stress in between naps. Linda Aylesworth has the story. At the University of the Fraser Valley, the party preparations began early. What better way to celebrate a 105th birthday, even if it is in dog years? Wants to make his rounds and say hello to everybody. Meet Mac, that's short for Macbeth. Born 15 years ago, destined for a life as a Pacific assistance dog. Mac is a groundbreaker. Being in a setting like a university, working with students, he was the first in the world. He's also the longest working canine in Pacific assistance dog history, which is why this is also a retirement party. Hello, old man. This is the next phase of life. His partner in work and in life, registered clinical counselor Don Holt, who convinced the university 13 years ago that they needed Mac. Why wouldn't post-secondary students need an animal therapist? Why wouldn't they? Just because it hadn't been done before didn't mean that it shouldn't be. The students certainly liked the idea. I was not willing to go to counseling. So when I found out that there was a dog I could go see, I was all over it. We can be in a room full of people and he will find the one person who's hurting the most and go straight to them without fail. He's retired. He can do whatever he wants. What he wants is to be a puppy again, and he isn't going to let a little arthritis get in the way. I can see already him letting go of the mantle of responsibility, and it's lovely to see him just be a goof all the time. (laughs) The thing about Mac is he doesn't judge. He just listens and supports those who need it. Let's honor this old golden man and his loving ways by each of us trying to go out and find ourselves our very own Mac life. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Oh, happy retirement, Mac. Yeah, very distinguished career mm-hmm. and a lot of energy left. I think he's going to enjoy so. retirement. Furniture slides across the floor and plates and glasses shatter as a cruise ship is rocked by heavy winds. This video coming out today from the Norwegian Escape on Sunday night during its seven-day cruise from New York to Florida. The cruise line says several people were injured and were treated on board. The ship itself was not damaged. British and Irish police are working to track down whoever sent small explosive devices to two London airports and a train station. The devices were found near Heathrow and city airports and Waterloo Station. A Heathrow staff member did open one bag, causing it to ignite. Part of the package burned, but no one was injured. The stamps on the envelopes resemble stamps issued by Ireland's post office for Valentine's Day 2018. No one has claimed responsibility and there have been no arrests. The U.S. National Weather Service now says at least 20 tornadoes tore through the southeast over the weekend. The most powerful was the F4 twister that killed at least 23 people in Alabama, including seven members of the same extended family. These are new images of the deadly EF4 tornado as it cut a mile-wide path through Alabama and Georgia. Is that it? It was on the ground for a staggering 70 miles. Security cameras capturing the moment of impact as David McBride feared for his life while his bar was torn apart. It was very scary. It was terrible. Today, crews scoured the debris and hard-hit Beauregard, searching for more survivors. And we learned the names of the 23 people who died. 
The youngest, A.J. Hernandez, just six, his father hid in a closet with both sons. The house just exploded, and he said both the boys was just sucked completely out of his arms. The coroner says seven members of one extended family are also among the dead. More than 90 people were injured in the destruction, among them an Alabama state trooper who was at home with his wife. Tonight, Sergeant Robert Burroughs is in the ICU, his damaged cruiser still outside his obliterated house. This shows the power of an EF4 tornado. It just picked this home right off of its foundation and tossed it way over there. The National Weather Service says the tornado packed winds of about 170 miles an hour. Emily Reyes Lashley lost everything. When you first came back here and you saw all of this devastation, what went through your head? Honestly shocked, you know, like it doesn't seem real. Tonight, there's a new reality in this part of the Deep South, where 70 miles never seemed so long. In Health Matters tonight, another big breakthrough in the battle against HIV. Doctors in Britain say an HIV-positive man is the second known patient in the world to be cleared of the AIDS virus. The unidentified British patient has been clear of the AIDS virus since receiving a bone marrow transplant three years ago from an HIV-resistant donor. An American man had a similar treatment in Germany in 2007, which also cleared his HIV. AIDS experts say the London patient is proof that scientists will one day be able to end AIDS. The largest ever study of its kind is the latest in a long list of research to find no link between the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine and autism. In fact, it found the opposite. Researchers examined nearly every child born in Denmark between 1999 and 2010, more than 650,000 people. Children were separated into groups based on their autism risk. Even among the higher risk groups who have been who have a sibling with autism, they found no association between the MMR vaccine and an autism diagnosis. In fact, they found that children who received the vaccine were 7% less likely to develop autism. Well, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who hasn't seen him at one time or another as they travel through Vancouver Island. His name is Howard, and after more than 20 years of waving at drivers from his posts in the Noose Bay, he needs a new home. Kylie Stanton reports on the overwhelming response to his plight. Anyone who's ever driven this stretch of highway knows to be on the lookout. It's I spy with my little eye, uh, something that looks like a gigantic elf. It may sound crazy, but then that iconic red hat appears. I see him, I see him. And there's Howard in all his glory. There he is, there he is. The nearly eight meter tall world record setting gnome has been perched here in Nanus Bay for the past 21 years. My grandfather started building him um, around 97, I would say. I increased this by 15 to one. Ron Hale constructed the gnome using only scrap metal and junk. Each piece now a part of history. You know how you have a family album and we have this. He was the mascot for the family-run go-kart track and amusement park No Man's Land before a gas station took over the property and has survived several changes in ownership since. That was when he was first being put together. But now he's not only in need of some major repairs, the fuel company that currently owns the land says the gnome needs a new home. A week ago I received an email from them that they were no longer pursuing the refurbishment um, and that um, I had until April 30th to remove him. In a statement, Parkland Fuel Corporation said, after extensive investigation into the structural integrity of the gnome, it has been deemed unsafe 
and therefore requires us to remove it from our property and out of harm's way from our customers. I think it's pretty sad, actually. But for many of those customers, that means an end of an era. we got to find a new home for it. Offers to take Howard have been pouring in online. From across the country, literally. Um, so it's been really, really positive. But it's a big decision one the family plans to take its time with, making sure their grandfather's work is in the best place possible, and most importantly, his legacy lives on. As long as he's still standing at the end of the day, no matter where it is, I think that he'd be really, really proud. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Unveiled today is billed as the world's most expensive car. After the forecast, how much it costs the buyer who wasn't shocked by the sticker. Needless to say, that's one you won't be loaning to the kids when they come asking on a Friday no, night. No, beautiful car. It is Love gorgeous. It. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I was actually able to use my sunroof today. It was so nice Oh, there outside. you go. Wow. Right? Things are looking up, I think, Christy. Yes. Um, not sort in the of, short term. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> Too optimistic, perhaps. Which I'll talk about <laughs> in a second. First, so I wanted to show you this with the frigid temperatures we're still dealing with and have been since the beginning of February. This, a very rare but natural uh, uh Ice sculpture was spotted in New Westminster this morning. This is a Tony Deese that sent me this. Look at another shot of it. Very rare. But you may not have seen it something like this outside, but you may have seen it something like this in your ice cube tray. Does that ring a bell? Here's what happens. It happens when uh, water freezes in a semi-confined space. So the water on the outside, the surface, tends to freeze first. The water inside um, takes a little bit longer. Now, every once in a while, when that surface freezes, a tiny little hole is formed. And since water expands as it freezes, that water on the inside has nowhere to go but out the hole. But it's very rare for us to get that hole, and that's why it's rare for us to see that. So thanks to Tony for sharing us that. We also saw something similar to this uh, in January, thanks to Doug, which we thought were like ice dolphins, but those are also ice spikes. Again, as the water freezes and expands, it goes out the hole and freezes as it hits the cold air. So pretty interesting. But uh, as Anne says, we are headed towards an improvement, but we have a brief interlude. Here's a look at tomorrow. Warming up to five degrees, we will see more cloud cover, and by the afternoon hours, some moisture is going to push in. I think it'll likely just be showers tomorrow, but there's a chance we could see a few wet flurries. Here's that system pushing in from the south. It is mainly just touching into the Metro Vancouver region. It's mainly through the inland regions, areas like the Coquihalla getting affected. More so, it's into our evening and Thursday morning hours that I'm expecting a few flurries or the potential of showers across our region. Mainly dry and still cold across the north, increasing cloud across the south with flurries expected. And for the south coast, a chance of showers or flurries tomorrow. This is not going to be a major event, but certainly a few showers or flurries into our Thursday also. And then we clear out. And as Anne said, big improvement as we head towards our weekend. I'll leave you with one last shot of the blue sky in Carameas. Thanks to Bill for that one. Beautiful shot. Thanks, Christy. Well, if you were looking to spend those spare millions you have lying around on the world's most expensive car, you're too late. Yeah, unfortunately. No sooner had the French car maker Bugatti unveiled its new supercar today at the Geneva Motor Show in Switzerland than it was snapped up by an anonymous buyer for 17 million Canadian. 
The black car, as it's called, is one of several supercars on display at the show. Despite the prices, luxury automakers say the niche market of supercars for the super rich is growing. That is a gorgeous automobile. I'll say. Reminds me of Batmobile. It does. Very sleek. Mm. How often do you ride it, though? Like you. I'd be too afraid to drive tracking, it. Where do you park it? it? <laughs> Miles away yeah. from everyone else. Yeah. Someone's going to have a Fred Boimstruck jersey. <laughs> Leafs jerseys from every generation. <laughs> Peter Inichek. Peter Inichek, yeah. yeah. Paul yeah. Mateer. Yeah, I don't know about Paul Mateer. Yuri Sirha. There you go. Yeah. It'll be out in full force, the blue and white. Uh, Ontario boys know all the guys. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Sutter hasn't played since February 9th, and he won't play the rest of this season. He is out with a sports hernia injury that requires surgery. And if you're thinking, that sounds familiar, you'd be correct. In 2015, Sutter had a sports hernia surgery on his left side. This time it'll be on his right side. So unless there's a middle sports hernia surgery, this operation should take care of both sides of the problem. But I think you may see the Canucks open to trading Sutter this summer if they get any offers. We talked yesterday about how the Canucks are going to have to play incredible hockey from here on out just to have a shot at the playoffs. I'd say they'd have to win at least 75% of their games. Not impossible, but not likely. It's Louis Erickson making you think he's really worth $6 million a year, unlikely. But the Canucks themselves will not be brought into the vortex of pessimism. They still have the playoff dream. I know the media and everyone thinks that, hey, these are, we're out of it, but I, I saw Edmonton talking about yesterday that they got, TSN had a heading, they, they got to win 17 one-game playoffs or something like that. Like, what people say in the media and what people say in the locker room are two different things. You know, everybody may think we're, we're out of it, but, uh, you know, in this room, these are meaningful games coming up where, um, you know, anything can happen. You know, we put a stretch of wins here together and, um, uh, everybody's got to realize that and, and put the, uh, the, you know, the personal stuff aside and look for your team. So as we mentioned, tomorrow night the Maple Leafs are in town to face the Canucks. Game time is 6 o'clock because apparently Torontonians can't stay up late to watch hockey on a school night. So the game starts an hour earlier out here. But it doesn't matter for those West Coast members of Leafs Nation. They will be there wearing the blue and white just like so many other displaced Leafs fans do across Western Canada. Make sure there's no doubt, so the Leafs make plays like that. Cadbury in with a shot, he scores! Oh, we got support all over the place, and it's really, uh, it's really fun to watch. So I love coming out west and, um, you know, even seeing the opposing fans and how passionate they are, uh, you know, in these cities and, you know, fun, uh, great atmosphere is the plan. So as a player, I think that's something to really uh, appreciate. Works it off the board, shot block, pass to Flex, he scores! The admiration is mutual. From coast to coast, the Go Leafs Go chants echo throughout every visiting building they play in. And you could put up a good argument that no hockey team is universally loved more than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Rebound, they score! The fan base is spread out across North America, but uh, especially in Canada, it seems uh, the Leafs have uh, an especially strong following. Every rank you go into, it seems like it's... Uh, it's at least half Maple Leaf fans, and uh, it's pretty special to be a part of that. It's great hearing the fans, no matter where you go. I don't think it really matters where we go. we got fans with us, so it's always special having that. And That's uh, a special fan base to have around you, and it's, it's been great playing in front of them. And that's the thing. Young or old, we're talking about a very loyal fan base. Remember, this is a team that hasn't won the Stanley Cup since 1967, yet every road game they play 
is pretty much a home game. Well, people have been watching the Leafs and the Habs on TV since they were kids. And, you know, and I think you end up happens is you railroad the kids that grow up in your house into being a certain fan, just like you were, whether that be a Patriots fan or whatever it may be. And so to me, when we travel, it's important for those people. They come they come to the game, they expect you to play well, and it's great to have uh, the fans following us. Your boys notice them? Oh, yeah, for sure you do. I mean, it's nice and warm up when you see all the blue in this place that's supposed to be red. It's special. You know, I think uh, there's lots of places you can go in the league and no one knows who you are. And I think there's some benefits to that as well. But if you want to be a real hockey environment, Toronto's where you want to be. Well, this is the team to beat. Tampa Bay. Ooh, could this be a Stanley Cup preview? Tampa Bay against Winnipeg. This is a good game. Speed. Scoring. Yanni Gord. Count it. one nothing. Other way now, Patrick Laine is not shooting, he's passing, Blake Wheeler, 1-1. To the second period, more breakout goals. Matthew Joseph to Adam Uncle Ernie, and that makes it 3-1. But check this out. Kucherov with the shot right off Halyubuk's face. Had to take him out of the game. Pressure cut, 4-1, third period. Surprise in the Champions League. Luka Modric and Real Madrid, second game, aggregate against Ajax, and it's all Ajax. This is like the old days for the Dutch side. Hakim Ziyech with the goal there. Great move by uh, Dustin Tadic. David Nery scores. 4-1 in this game, 5-3 in aggregate. So Real Madrid's out. Ajax is on to the quarterfinals, as is Tottenham at the Briar, BC is 3-2, Alberta, Northern Ontario, the only unbeaten rinks at 5-0. Here's your snow report for tonight. Tough go for the mountains. No new snow in the last 24 hours. Thankfully, there is some coming in. Whistler Blackcomb still cold at minus 13. Grouse, Cypress, and Sasquatch minus 7 and minus 8. Into the interior regions, Revelstoke also minus 8, but below minus 10 for Fernie, Manning Park, and Whitewater. Big White, Silver Star, and Sun Peak should see new snow in the next 24 hours. Kicking Horse minus 15. Mount Washington minus 10. And Powder King minus 14. All right, Jimi Hendrix, the roots in Vancouver run a lot deeper than I ever thought they did. For the family, I mean, there's a lot of mythology about Jimi Hendrix, both in Seattle and Vancouver, so let's cut through some of the purple haze, shall we, and <laughs> see if we can find out what Hendrix means to this city. Jimi Hendrix is definitely Seattle's son, but the roots of his family tree run all the way into Vancouver. Well, Jimmy's father was actually born in Vancouver. So, I mean, yeah, it's, the lineage of Canada is, is very strong in the, in the family. So my mother, Jimmy's father, all, all, all born in Canada. Jimmy went to school at Vancouver's Dawson Annex for grade one. And it was here where he stayed, at his grandmother's house. Nora Hendricks is one of the community leaders of the Strathcona neighborhood, a founder of the African Methodist Church and she was also a vaudeville performer. That entertainment uh, legacy is, is, is true to form, you know, blood-wise. So everybody's, everybody's on, you know? Everybody's uh, been connected to it. It certainly passed through Jimmy, we all know that, but also his Aunt Pearl. And her son, Henry. Manic depression capsules my soul. 
who along with his entire family attended Jimi Hendrix's last ever concert in Vancouver in 1968. But as legendary as it was, to a nine-year-old Henry, it was just his cousin playing guitar. Interesting to see and, and hear and, you know, but I think, I think I fell asleep, you know, halfway through, you know. You know, I can't be, you know, I, I could tell you, oh, yeah, it was great, and that's where I got my inspiration from, and no, I fell asleep. Henry, who now tours with the experienced Henrik show, wasn't old enough to appreciate his cousin's talents. But Vancouver performers, the Crump Twins, did, and they performed with a much younger Jimi Hendrix when he would visit his grandmother. So we met him. We, we did a few, a few, a few uh, he, he became our buddy, and then he started playing music. We played music. So we played up at the New Delhi. There, there was a, 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 a nightclub on Main and Kiefer there. So, so he came up in there and sat in with us for, for a few shows. It's like this guy was able to get into anybody's group and, 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 and be a presence. So once you have that, you, you know that there's something. Everybody who had him in, in their band all say the same story. This guy's going to be something. And from Jimmy to his grandmother, Nora, and all the family members in between, Vancouver is a big part of the Hendrix experience. Amazing. And there's, there's other stories around town, and then some people say, no, that didn't happen, and some people say, yeah, it did happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, we heard it from the family. That seems pretty That's, legit. Yeah, I'm going to go with what they have yeah. to say, yeah. Henry was only nine. You can't blame him for falling <laughs> asleep, right? <laughs> Thanks for watching. <laughs>